It's Preachers on Preaching, frank conversations between two preachers brought to you by the Christian Century Magazine. And now, your host, Matt Fitzgerald. Welcome back to Preachers on Preaching. This week, I have two guests. They are Jennifer Morrow and Timothy Ross. Jennifer is the pastor of a Methodist church in Connecticut, and Tim is the pastor of the Hopwood Christian Church in Tennessee. They're serving churches that are different from one another on different sides of the country, different locations, different denominations. And yet each week, these two come together to collaborate on their sermon. They've been doing this for years. Sometimes they preach very similar sermons. Sometimes they simply offer one another editing advice and input. They recommend this method of a preaching partnership to everyone who preaches. And we'll all learn today about how this method works for the two of them and how it might work for others. So here they are. Tim and Jennifer. So the two of you have this unusual, to my experience, process of writing and preparing sermons in which you do it from a long distance in collaboration with one another. Could you start by just telling our listeners what that process is, what the collaboration looks like? Sure. From my perspective, um, our our collaboration began with uh, a friendship many years ago, and uh, then when we both found ourselves in um, in a situation where we we're preaching every week, uh, we made contact and decided to uh, to give this a try. and And initially, it began as really an, an opportunity to look over the lectionary scriptures and to talk about that each week, and then. To, um, to kind of spin some possibilities for preaching, some narrative angles. Um, and initially that, and, and then to read over each other's uh, work when we finished. And it's, it's grown some since that, and maybe I'll, I'll let you take that, Jennifer. Sure. Uh, well, Tim's being very generous there in his description of how it began because the the backstory is it began because I wrote him an email and I was I was kind of whining a little bit or at least complaining that I was so so I was a couple well more than a couple several months into my first uh, full-time senior pastorate and so it was the first several months that I'd been preaching every single Sunday and I, I wrote Tim an email and I said, oh man, I'm really tired of my own voice. I really miss hearing somebody else preach. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I need some encouragement. I need s- something. And I think what I was looking for really in that email was just, yeah, I know how you feel. I get it. I've been there. I, I'm actually currently there. And it's okay. You're not alone. You know, you're not the only one that feels that way. But actually what... Tim suggested is exactly what he described. And I don't think either of us really went into it early on with, with any particular long-term expectations. Um, but it's been really wonderful to see how it's developed. That was seven years ago now. Um, and so now our weekly collaboration happens um in a in a much more disciplined way and in a much fuller way than it really did at the beginning. So, um, in those seven years, we've we've worked on sermon series together. We are 
very disciplined and accountable to one another in terms of our getting together, talking through the scriptures. Even if one of us happens not to be preaching that particular Sunday, we still meet um, and do you do electronically. This, you do it via email? We do. It's a little bit of both. Right now, I mean, typically what we do is we speak on the phone once a week. And then the the back and forth collaboration, and that and, and in that phone call, we'll talk about the texts. We'll, you know, throw out a couple of, like Tim said, narrative angles that we're working on, or um, a theme that stands out for us. And then once we've had that call, then we email back and forth for the rest of the week. And what started as sending one another finished work has developed into sending one another unfinished work and um, really offering our um, support or thoughts or feedback in the process of the writing and not just once it is complete. So do you use each other in this process as if, let's see, your... Your sermon is a blade, and the process or the conversation partner is a whetstone. So your sermon gets sharper via the process. Or are you looking at it more like, I don't know, baking cookies, right? Where you're both putting something in, but the shared product is the same? Or do you wind up with two different sermons? Mm. Typically, we end up with two different sermons. Um, oftentimes, you know, two congregations are... are uh, are working on different issues and different parts of their lives, and uh, we both are lectionary preachers, so that that narrative thread hangs uh, causes us to hang together. But um, depending on what's going on in each congregation, my congregation, for instance, is going through a, a building project, and Jennifer's just uh, dedicated a new prayer box for the community, and so. Often our sermons are are going in different directions, and oftentimes are, are very different sermons. But um, there are those weeks where, um, even if one or the other of us have worked on something for quite a while, once we see what the other person is onto, we say, "Oh, that's absolutely it. That that's the direction. That's the message that needs to be spoken." And so sometimes we'll we'll go on a particular theme and still write two sermons. And in just a very few instances, um, the product uh, of our sermons has has really been co-written, and uh, we're still kind of new in in exploring that. But but it's got some possibilities. I I don't foresee us doing that all the time, but uh, it is a it's a good experience for us uh, to to do that occasionally. Jennifer, how has your preaching changed via this collaboration? I think the first way I'd answer is to say. It stayed the same in one very important regard, and that's that I still love it, um, and I still enjoy it because I am not alone in it, and I have this um, consistent encouragement, this uh, sharpening, like you said. I mean, I think the whetstone is a is a great image for what I hope happens as a part of our collaboration. Um, in terms of how it's changed, I would say that I, one of the things that I think Tim is really great at is um, speaking hard truths in loving and hearable ways. 
And, uh, and so I have, I think, been encouraged and able to, to say some difficult things from the pulpit, um, to speak some tough words, to, to go places that I might otherwise in my non-confrontational personality have avoided. And I'm not confronting people. I'm not talking about anything hardcore. But Can you give us an example? Saying what needs to be said. Um, well, I think... One instance where this partnership, I think, really challenged me to to say some difficult things is to speak truthfully about some of the humanitarian crises that are facing groups of people in politically charged situations. So to be able to speak lovingly and well about the Israel-Palestine crisis, for example, um, that's been one instance that I can say that I've I think, have spoken a little bit more prophetically than I might otherwise have been able to. Because your dialogue partner, because Tim is coming at things, was a different person than you are, right? So As you're, a different person. You're stretched. Um, that's right. Oh, that's interesting. Tim, how about you? How, have you? how has this process changed your preaching? One thing I think has helped me to be a better narrative preacher. Uh, I think one of... Jennifer's real gifts is uh, she comes with a, a great uh, sort of literary theatrical background and um, the spoken word uh, is, is really important for her and uh, her the way she can turn a phrase uh, oftentimes I'll send something to her and I'll say do some magic on this could you please help me figure out how to say this thing that I'm trying to say in a, in a little more elegant way. Another thing, she's spoken about giving courage, and that goes both ways. Um, even just this past week, uh, I was doing a sermon on, uh, working on a sermon on, on Revelation, the new heaven, new heavens, the new earth. And, um, and I kind of started it fairly abruptly, um, and I, I think my first line was something like, there is no rapture. And, uh, and I thought, uh, maybe I better dial that back a little bit. And, and I got some feedback from Jennifer. She says, oh, I love this. This is a great way to start this thing. Go for it. And uh, so it kind of gave me, gave me the courage to, uh, to sort of drop a bomb right, right at the beginning and then try to, try to fill it out as I, as I proceeded. That's interesting. So affirmation as you both take risks, even as you're pushed forward by one another. Are you in broad theological agreement or do you find places theologically where you're at odds with one another? Oh, I think we're, I think we're in pretty broad theological agreement. Um, certainly. And, um, our, our contexts are somewhat different. And denominationally, I want to explore the context that you're in, but before we get to that denominationally, you're not in the same church. Is that right? That's right. That's correct. Yeah, I'm in uh, Christian churches, Churches of Christ, um, which is a, a congregationally independent group, uh, Stone Campbell Churches. Uh, Jennifer's in United Methodist Church, so uh, so that's very different. So, Tim, are the are the Christian churches, Churches of Christ, and you're in Tennessee, is to claim that there is no rapture? Is that a controversial statement? How did that go down with your congregation? <laughs> I think for most folks who are in some sort form of a of an evangelical church, that's that's sort of the theological air that those folks folks breathe. Um, particularly, you know, with kind of the big Left Behind series, and I think it's just a sort of a popular way that 
folks think. And, and down here in Tennessee, you can uh, absolutely still uh, see some cliff sides uh, marked with uh, with uh, apocalyptic messages for, uh, for, for folks that good church people spray paint up there. So, uh, yeah, I think that I think that was that was news for some of the folks in in my congregation. Jennifer, what's your context like? You're in a Methodist church. Yeah, up in Connecticut, so in New England. So, um, very different sort of um, theological bent. Um, I I couldn't start a sermon as much as I. I mean, man, I loved that beginning of that sermon, but it wouldn't work here because half of our congregation would say. Uh, what's a rapture? So <laughs> it's funny. I spent about five years preaching sermons about not every week, of course, but occasionally about the non-existence of hell, which I felt like was this big theological bomb I was dropping on my congregations. And I realized after a while, it was as if I was standing up there telling them that unicorns didn't exist. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to convince them of something that they weren't worried about. Um, <laughs> so, Tim, Jennifer's talked a little bit about. Her own sense of like, I don't know what, um, lack and uh, get growing sort of like weary in the face of, of approaching the pulpit week in and week out the first time she was called to do that. What was missing or lacking in your own, on your end, in your own preparation and in your own preaching that made this idea spark for you? For me, I've been, I've been preaching for a long time and I think... A particular danger for folks who have been in this for several decades um, is phoning phoning it in. Um, I think there's a particular danger after you've been through the lectionary cycle uh, several times or or a couple of dozen times uh, to um, to get stale, to get old, and um, and to to lose some of uh, some of the edge. In your preaching, and uh, I think one of the wonderful things, and it's one of the reasons why Jennifer and I have started really encouraging other pastors to think about uh, pastoral uh, preaching partnerships, uh, is the fact that uh, in a when you're working with a, another person, you you have to be paying attention. Uh, there's someone who's expecting you to bring your best stuff. Um, you uh, you absolutely uh, can't just kind of phone it in. You you've got to show up, and uh, that means you've got to you got to keep studying. You got to got to keep working. You got to keep reading. Got to keep praying. And uh, and so for me, it's been uh, sort of an injection of 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 life, um, as uh, as there's been sort of another layer of uh, of good benevolent pressure that's uh, that's been added. Have you both found that you're, um, are you hitting your deadlines better as a result of this? Are you done with your sermon earlier than you used to be? That's probably true for one of us, but not, not, (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, yes, I, I think for both of us, it's better. Uh, I would say that one of the things that's much better has been that we actually take sort of a, a long, uh, longer look at uh, at our sermons oftentimes uh, in the summer we've taken to uh, preaching through an old testament book you know one of those long series of uh, of lectionary readings in the old testament uh, we've preached through um, several series that uh, that have 
have taken a little bit of jiggering with uh, with the lectionary and and uh, adapting some readings. We did it one on uh, on the twelve steps, for instance. Did that series in particular, or maybe these series in general, did they land in similar ways in your two congregations? Well, I, I think so. Yes, and I would say that sermon series in particular, I think, found deep resonance for um, for both of our congregations, and uh, and and I think for both of us as as writers and and preachers during that. Yeah, another series that, that we did uh, was a series on uh, narrative preaching, and and we. We uh, paid more attention to uh, to the biblical narratives, uh, obviously, but we also tried to preach in a in a more uh, narrative style, and uh, and I think both of those were refreshing for our congregation as well, and uh, and stretched us. It probably stretched me a little more than it stretched Jennifer. But uh, when you say preaching in a narrative style, Tim, what do you mean by that? Well, we did did a number of different things uh, during that series, but. Uh, we did a couple of sermons, I remember, uh, large chunks of them from kind of a first-person uh, perspective and uh, allowed folks to uh, to sort of hear the message through the voice of a particular uh, character, perhaps a character in the, in the biblical narrative. And so they became less sermons that, that, that laid out propositions and, and more sermons that, uh, <clears throat> that flowed along both the biblical narrative or or narratives of, of stories we were telling. When you guys make the recommendation for other people to try a preaching partnership, it sounds like your relationship sprung up organically out of a friendship. But you are two different people. I mean, coming from pretty different contexts. So you've got a Southern free church man and a Methodist woman in New England. Do you think that they're... I mean, should the rest of us, if we're considering this, should we be trying to seek out a diverse partnership or should we be looking just for somebody we click with? Like, what are the, have you found advantages to the relatively stark differences in your contexts? I think, I would say that the differences in our contexts have certainly added a richness to the partnership and to the writing, I hope, that you know, that we've been able to do. I have to say, though, I, I think what some of the things that have been most important important in this partnership um, have been the small things and almost the, the logistical things in that we're both lectionary preachers. Um, we both write you know, we don't write our sermons a month in advance or, or, or a couple months in advance, but we, we keep a relatively similar writing schedule. And so that really works. I think it would be tough to be, have a, a valuable partnership with someone who's, who, who wrote very differently. We're both manuscript preachers. Um, I think that's been helpful to our partnership in terms of the differences that we have, I think it's certainly added a richness, but it hasn't been the most important part of our partnership. I think I think the most important part has been the longevity of it and and the trust that has grown over time. So 
I don't know that I would say definitely make sure you find someone from a very different context than yours, but definitely don't be deterred um, by difference in context or gender or geography, denomination or, you know, what have you. Those are all bridgeable. But some of those small things, that has really helped, I think, this work as well as it has. Uh, when I talk to people, I tell them, uh, give it a timeline and mm-hmm. uh, give, it, give it a test run. Do it for six months. And uh, this trust that Jennifer speaks of, I think, is so incredibly important. And there's no way, there's no way to, uh, to have it grow other than to dive in and to, um, and to see what happens. That takes time. So most preachers I know of have had this phenomenon of stepping into the pulpit with what they feel like is a good sermon and then having it not go over. (laughs) Really? Um, (laughs) I'm wondering for you two if you've ever affirmed one another and said, you know what, you've got something really good in your hands this week. And then the, the one with the affirmation steps into the pulpit and it doesn't go over. Do you ever like misread each other's... Uh, I'm sure that we have. I'm absolutely (laughs) sure that we have. But I can tell you something that, um, you know, preaching goes up and down a lot. Uh, The the preacher's uh, pride, I think, goes up and down with what what people say and how people react. But really, is that a is that really a good a good thing? Um, It it may be more problematic. Um, How so? But I think. Well, I think that there may be messages that need to be spoken that oftentimes are hard messages to hear. And uh, if you if you read Jeremiah, uh, you know you can you can find out that uh, here's a guy who had a tough message to uh, to speak. He spoke it faithfully. Uh, they they threw him in a pit. They conspired against his life, and and yet at the end, he'd done exactly the thing that that he was supposed to do, and and spoken the message he was supposed to speak. So. I would just say that if you have someone who has come to hear and understand where you're coming from, who knows your voice, and and who can say, regardless of how this message is heard or, or not heard in your own local context, this is a good message, and uh, and this is a good word. And it's oftentimes I hear from Jennifer, it's really faithful to the scriptures uh, for this particular day. Mm. That's interesting. One of the things I hear you saying, Tim, is is a way in which the partnership can puncture the echo chamber. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I think you have to have far more important than than taking a poll of whether people liked it, um, a particular sermon. It's important in any kind of context to have those voices that you trust who can tell you um, – you know, you're getting kind of bitchy here this this month, and uh, you might you might want to think about where that's coming from, or someone who can tell you, um, yeah, you're onto something here, and uh, and and you need to give that some more attention. Mm. It's interesting. I think in my own experience, um, it's very easy to, um, you know, good preaching ought to be dialogical. Um, but after years in a setting, it can be tempting to regard the feedback that you're getting from a congregation as um, the ultimate arbiter of 
the value of what you're saying. And so to have that outside perspective to say, hey, that might not have gone over that well. Um, Maybe people pushed back against it, but I trust you. I know you. I know the gospel. And I know that people need to hear that. Um, that's That's a value to what you guys are doing that I hadn't really thought about. I thought about the sort of crafting. But that outside perspective to look in and say, just a third voice, right? To say, almost like a marital therapist, you know what I mean? Saying, well, here's another way to look at it. Here's another way to understand it if you step outside that tight relationship between a preacher and a congregation. Yeah, I think that third voice is is very helpful, and um, and I think that there there are times as well um, when we can say to one another, <clears throat> um, the hardest part, of course, is is saying to another person um, this line, this, this paragraph that you worked on for two hours. Uh, I know that you might like it, but it it really doesn't seem like it it fits with what's going on here. And so to have taken the time to develop the trust to where you can hear that and you can say, yes, thank thank you for giving me the permission to uh, throw this out the window, uh, it, it's really helpful as well. So certainly that, that voice that, that both knows you and is, uh, is true um, is, is incredibly helpful. Jennifer, have you found a similar dynamic in terms of the, the wordsmithing of things and having to let go of, of pieces that you have written and you might love? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think I, 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 getting back to some of the ways that, that my preaching has changed as a result of the partnership, I think that when I was either not super confident about what I was going to say or feeling like I needed to fill up a little space, I would, my, like my default would be to turn to some, some flowery language or a, or a, a, a turn of phrase that really didn't do anything to further the message. And it was just sort of existing for its own sake. And, uh, and, and I've become much less dependent on that over the course of this partnership. And I will tell you that I, I would just echo what what Tim is saying, and and say that you know, it it is it is one of the harder pieces of feedback to give, to say, yeah, this needs to go. Um, like he said, that paragraph you spent two hours on, but it is one of the best pieces of feedback to receive because, I, I mean, I I couldn't tell you the number of times where. I've sent something along, and Tim sent it back, and and with the feedback, I mean, to a word has sort of said the things that need to go were exactly the ones I kind of knew deep down, but I needed that permission, I needed that go-ahead, and I can do it with confidence then. And man, that's a gift to step into the pulpit with with that bit of confidence behind you not and 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 again that's not tied only to what affirmation you do or don't get from from the congregation after the fact and your own but, sense too right i mean i can that's right i have experiences where i i try to write my sermons pretty carefully and i will um and i work in a I don't do this for preaching, but I work in a writer's group for another thing denominationally and have experience of workshopping pieces of writing. And, 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 and I typically have other people's voices in my ear, 
when I'm composing a sermon saying just what you've been saying. That language is too flowery. You're hiding behind it. You're not getting to the point, too abstract, whatever. So I try to have a piece of writing that is pretty honed when I step into the pulpit. And yet, I preach most weeks two services. And I'll find myself in the interlude between the two services running back to my office, you know, opening it back up and looking at it and thinking, what in the hell was I thinking? Like, this is so flabby. I have to cut here, 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 and here. Um, but I, I mean, it happens, gosh, more often, more often than not. Um, I think we can fool ourselves. I mean, good writers have good editors. Sure. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you something that's even worse than that, Matt. And that is when you've worked hard on a sermon all week long and then as the scriptures are being read, you say, oh, my goodness, that's what it was about. And, uh, and, and there you are. And so between services, you're going back to actually do rewrites. So do you, do you find yourself in that moment when you, when you have that, oh, now I understand what the point of this lesson is? Do you ever toss your manuscript aside and dive into that? I do occasionally, and I've I've also rewritten sermons uh, during the Sunday school hour for a second service. Um, but also as as lectionary preachers, that's one of the gifts is that these things <laughs> come back, and uh, and so yeah. there there are times when I'll start a file for three years from now, and uh, and and when that fifth Sunday of Easter comes, preach this one and and say this. Do you ever find yourself in this? I mean, it sounds like you trust one another deeply, but do you ever find yourself rejecting the input from the other person saying, you know what? I know better. Here I am in Connecticut or here I am in Tennessee and uh, I'm going to ignore what you're telling me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that it feels like I'm just going to ignore um, something, but but I, I feel you know, I might say, yeah, yeah, I hear that, but I, th I still think maybe this might work better. And, uh, you know, so yeah, it's not a, it's not a situation where we, in the midst of that, that very real trust that, that we have for one another, that we're also still not, um, you know, in weighing our decisions and thinking through them. It's not just like, oh, well, Tim said I should change it. I'm going to change it. But it's definitely a thoughtful engagement of, of the suggestions. But um, so it certainly happens. But for me, anyway, not that often. I don't know. What would you say, Tim? Yeah, I would say that uh, both of us are pretty differentiated people. And um, oftentimes, uh, as we start a conversation, I'll say, okay, I'm going with the uh, John passage, and I'm really looking at talking about the the Holy Spirit uh, this week, and and I'll, I'll you know I'll spin out some thoughts on that, and and Jennifer will say, uh, well you know we got this prayer thing going at at, at our congregation, and I'm going to stay you know with uh, with the theme from prayer from from Acts, and here's how here's how I see it happening. Um, all that's to say that. Uh, that may change, you know, kind of late in the week as we begin to read each other's stuff. And and uh, there have been times, you know, where I've just said, oh, you you know, you really hit on it this week. This I really like what you're doing with this. And and I'm I'm very willing to be influenced this week. And uh, I think I'm going to I think I'm going to work on that that same angle as well. Do you find ever that? Um, well, let me. Let me ask this differently. 
Do you find that um, the result of preaching in your two congregations is different, or does it stay constant across the two places? You're in an unusual place where you can both be like receiving feedback from two churches at once in some in some ways. And I guess one of the things I'm wondering is um, does the does the effect of preaching or the efficacy of a particular passage, um, is it different or is it happening in a similar way or even the same way in your two different contexts? And that assumes that you're doing a fair amount. I mean, I know preaching is generally speaking a forward thinking act. So maybe on Monday when you're back to it, you're not spending time talking about how yesterday's sermon went over. Um, or do you do that? Do you look back and review? I think we, we certainly have different congregations um, they um, they have different personalities, and um, and they have uh, and they're made up of different kind of of people. Um, I think you can find a, a cross section of people in our churches, you know, who would who would really track and would find uh, deep friendships with with one another. But the particular issues and problems that our congregations face, I think, are are kind of kind of different. So I would say that uh, that it's it's frequent that things hit a little differently, and certainly both of us are are trying to finesse certain messages across uh, that are that are cultivated to um, to meet or to address some of those questions, needs, problems of of our own our own particular congregation. Um, so I think it's it's uh, it's true that. That uh, that there are real differences, but but there are some themes, you know, that are that are pretty universal. Um, as an example, uh, we've been talking a lot more about congregational formation, um, congregations coming to know who they are and what they're supposed to be about, and what it means that they're a little corner of a of a larger kingdom. And, uh, and that conversation uh, that we hope comes through a lot in our preaching has also sort of moved into um, a program of congregational formation through small groups that both of us have, have launched uh, in our congregations. And we use kind of a similar format, but, um, and I'm certain that the results are, are different in both places as well. But we've tried to uh, find commonalities where where we feel that uh, our, our congregations can hear, experience, and, and even react some sometimes in uh, in similar ways. Mm. I mean, this might be different, Jennifer, for 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 you as a Methodist in a closely yoked denomination. For mm-hmm. me, um, as a Congregationalist and a pretty free church tradition, one of the things I love is this notion that God acts locally. And that really, as the church, the the predominant way in which we're experiencing God's presence or hearing God's voice is at a local level. The, and I think that's beautiful and true. The risk of that, though, is that we, can, we can forget that God is acting locally for us and then also universally for everyone and locally for others. And we can begin to reduce the grandeur of God to who God is for St. Paul's rather than mm-hmm. who God is 
for a church in Connecticut and who go, we can forget those things. So one of the things that I'm, that this is really sparking for me is that since then, if one is in regular dialogue with a preacher from another church in another part of the country, you're going to never be able to forget that the same miracles that are unfolding in your local congregation through the preached word, hopefully, are happening in a different way, maybe sometimes a very different way, maybe sometimes the exact same way, too, elsewhere, right? So, so that sense that a church can get occasionally of, of becoming arrogant in terms of its knowledge of God or possession of God, that mm-hmm. what you two are doing is, is going to act as a constant disruption to that temptation. That's right. And, and I think that's a, I think that's a really great insight. Um, and I would just, it, it reminds me of Tim mentioned he was up here and, and preached for us this past fall. And it, and it happened that, um, that was the week that we were launching here, this new small group initiative, the, the same, very similar, the same program that, that, that Tim's congregation, the Hopwood church is doing as well and so tim and and his wife they were able to his wife marcia they they came to the small group and were a part of the conversation the same conversation that they had had just weeks before in their context and it was really neat after the fact you know we we debriefed a little bit and talked about it and tim said you know man I, it was so fascinating that so many of the thing, same things got raised so many of the same issues so many of the same responses to to this book so even though the contexts are very different um, we're responding to the same good news right and um, and and so and, and and the other thing is our church my church here in Connecticut is they know about our partnership I talk about it regularly um, so they know they're connected in a way to this church. And it's so it, it helps me from ever getting too lost in the midst of the specificity or the locality. Um, but I think it, it, it helps our congregation to remember their connectedness, you know, across the miles and, and more to, to this other place and what God is doing there. This makes me. Um, this conversation makes me want to run out and find a preaching partner. It's uh, it's very inspiring what what the two of you are up to. And thank you both so much for taking time to do this. I I know that the folks listening are going to be inspired and intrigued, and I bet you're going to spark some some new friendships and relationships that didn't exist before we started to get the word out about the good thing that you're doing. Well, thanks so much, Matt. It's been really fun, and uh, we we do have sort of a a missionary impulse to uh, to share this with some of our fellow preachers. It's been it's been wonderful for us, and we hope that that some other friendships are are forged as well. Absolutely, it's been great to talk to you, and uh, you've had such just really great questions, and it's 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 really such a joy um, what we what we've um, found and what we're getting to do, and and it it why not get the word out? I mean, it would just be wonderful if um, some more partnerships can develop and, and enjoy some of the richness that we have too. So thanks for the opportunity. Many thanks for listening to the Christian Century's Preachers on Preaching podcast. This episode was edited by Neil Ellingson with technical assistance from Kyle Hoker and Steve Thorngate. <laughs>